God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I just heard through Mr. Jackson's story, Faith as Relationship. And if you were here last Sunday, you may recall how Adam ended our service before the benediction was to remind us all that faith is a relationship. In today's story, this excerpt from Abraham's life, we get to see our God who initiates this relationship. A relationship that is meant to change the world, specifically through Abraham, God's chosen one. And we get to learn today some of the implications of faith as relationship for Abraham, but also for us who, along with our Jewish and Muslim brothers and sisters, claim Abraham as our faith ancestor, along with many other smaller faith traditions as well. God chose Abraham and entered into a special covenant. He promised to bless Abraham, his wife Sarah, and that all the world, and that means us, would be blessed through him. Abraham's faith is famous. And it's different from our modern understanding of faith, which is often defined like this, a firm set of beliefs in or about God that give us a sense of certainty that most humans want about the trajectory of our lives. And historian and author, religion historian, Karen Armstrong writes in her book about Genesis that in the ancient world, faith did not mean theological conviction, as many of us might feel it does, but rather a total reliance upon another, that other, in this case, being God. And to offer a bit of background, Abraham, as God's chosen, got up one day, God came to him and said, get up, Abraham, and go. Leave your homeland. I will show you where I'm taking you. I will give you and all the descendants after you a land full of promise, full of milk and honey and goodness. And your offspring will outnumber the stars in the sky. Even though at that point in time, they had no children, Abraham, his wife Sarah, were very old. And Sarah had been barren her whole life. They were given no roadmap or itinerary by God. Only God's promise of goodness. And Abraham said yes to this larger-than-life invitation, this incredible, probably terrifying plan. And when he said yes, he said yes to a relationship. And as Armstrong puts it, Abraham launched himself on the quest for the unknown, impelled not by a sense of strong or orthodox beliefs, but by a particular feeling of presence. A presence that was impossible to define or categorize. And Abraham is depicted as traveling forward toward something brand new, always brand new, rather than staying stuck in the piety, the tradition of his ancestors of faith. 
And may we remember, as we continue here, that the life we have today is evidence of God's urgent desire to have a similar relationship with us. God gave us birth to give us a loving relationship with God and with one another. So we receive a similar invitation as Abraham. We think we might have a road map. Our telephones tell us we do all the time. But do we really? We too set out for the unknown with our hopeful yes or our doubting yes. Either way, God invites us. So this passage from Abraham's life, I think it's helpful to set the context. Immediate, where Abraham is talking to God is about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. In the very next chapter, we read the horrible story of those, the destruction of those cities. And this destruction is attributed to God. And let us remember, in the ancient world, Abraham's world, the author of Genesis' world, the way of thinking was rewards punishment, system of justice, and not restorative justice, but retributive justice. This was the mindset. So what we have here in our passage today with Abraham taking God to task is a new way of thinking. And scholar Walter Brueggemann and many other biblical scholars agree that this is a sign of something new happening in the people of God. Even though on the heels we have the old system, the traditional system of rewards punishment theology, that God is angry and mean and is looking for ways to harm us and punish us. So this passage today is a gift. And I want to say just one brief word about Sodom and Gomorrah. The last time I heard these words uttered was in the context of Cincinnati's Pride Festival and Parade, formerly known the Gay Pride Parade. Every year at Pride Festivals around the world, people, probably professing Christians, come with signs and protests that say, Remember Sodom and Gomorrah. And they stand in judgment of all same-gender-loving people. And friends, this is not what Sodom and Gomorrah's sin was at all. It had nothing to do with homosexuality, with same-gender loves and relationships at all. That is a tradition handed down to us, a gross misrepresentation. And if we look in the scriptures, the other prophets and even in the New Testament, when they describe the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, the great evil that was breaking God's heart, and that Abraham went to God to try to go to bat for the innocents, what we know is their evil is that they were ignoring the poor and their needs. They were oppressing those who had less. There was power mongering and especially the mistreatment of the outsider, the stranger, the visitor. They lacked the gracious generosity of hospitality that God calls us to and that God is. So. It's helpful to know that right before our story today and right after, we see examples of this radical 
loving hospitality that Sodom and Gomorrah completely disregarded in their abuse of any visitors that came to them. Abraham was visited by three messengers from God. One, if you read the text, seems to be God. Two, seem to be God's angels. And Abraham runs to meet them, sees their visitors, offers to welcome them into his tent, wash their feet, gets his wife Sarah to get the best food, the best calf, and lavishes them with loving hospitality. That was the culture, and that was Abraham's understanding of being a follower of God. And in the very next chapter, when these same visitors then move on to Sodom and Gomorrah, with God in the presence, greatly grieved at what they might find there, it is Abraham's nephew Lot, who learned from Abraham about justice and righteousness, as the scripture today said, that Abraham would be the instructor of all of his descendants, all of us, in God's path of righteousness and justice. And Lot, too, sees these men coming and runs out to greet them, to welcome them. And it's at this point where certain gang of men of the city see that visitors have come and they set out to do the evil that they know. And they demand that they, these three men are brought out so they may have sexual relations with them. And friends, what they intend is not anything to do with relational or love. It is violent rape. It is abuse. It is torture. This is to the extent that the citizens of these cities have gone in forgetting whose they were, that God is a God of hospitality. So Abraham, in relationship with God, has, be, has been given God's own heart. That's what happens when we say yes and we nurture the relationship. And Abraham's story shows us that that relationship, in one word, is an ongoing conversation. Abraham boldly comes before God. God has told him what he's planning to do, so grieved he is by the wickedness. And here we have Abraham pleading, God, if there are just a few innocents, won't you not do what you plan to do? And every time Abraham starts big with 50 and eventually goes down to 10, what if there are 10 innocents? Won't you spare them all for the sake of 10? And every time God shows us God's heart, it's not retributive justice that God is about, but restorative. And every time God says, yes, for the sake of those 10, I will. So Abraham is our teacher today in pointing us to something new. You know, the Bible throughout says that there's one thing in the world that will never change, and that is the steadfast love and mercy of God. The psalmists sing about them, the prophets speak of this. But the good news along with that is that humanity can change and does change. When we get God's heart, we are transformed. And we do as Abraham did. And we do as those serving the Ohio Innocence Project are doing for the sake of the innocents, like Ricky Jackson, 
and thousands around our country and world where these innocence projects are in action. We evolve. Like we saw in our passage today, a glimpse of evolution of faith of those people back then still forming. And remnants of the rewards-punishment theology are still in our culture today. And this passage calls us to work hard against that and be open to God's evolving our hearts and minds. You know, we're told in America that there's such a thing as the American dream. I've heard it my whole life. The land of opportunity, if you work hard, especially where I come from with Midwest work ethic and pragmatism, you can achieve anything. Work hard, do good, avoid trouble. And you can have all you want. Well, in my own evolution of faith, what I know is true is that because I'm a white person in my culture, that is probably true to some extent. I know I'm part of a privileged class. I cannot deny that this nation was built, and my privilege was built, on the backs of slaves, the weak, and the vulnerable. And where we as a people in this nation have not dealt with our past, our racism, this continues today. I have opportunities to get ahead. Where people of color and people without much income or money or chance for it take the blame for crimes they don't commit and they do not have resources to adequately defend themselves that I might. They don't have resources to have representation, to even be heard or to have a chance. And thank you again, Ricky, for opening us up to these kinds of stories, but also to the redemption that our God is always up to. When we look around the world and see daily tragedies, um, every day there are stories of oppression, exclusion, abuse of other humans, like in our text of Sodom and Gomorrah. We hear another story about a natural disaster robbing thousands of their lives and well-being, or stories like Ricky of enduring 39 years in prison, innocent, when we hear Cincinnati's childhood poverty rate of over 40% and the ongoing crisis at our border with Mexico, that those seeking asylum who are fleeing awful situations in their homeland, who are forced to escape, trying to just survive, and yet our broken system meets them there at the border. So we have work to do at our own city gates, with our own neighbors, and helping give voice to changing a system that lacks humanity. Abraham, chosen by God, comes face to face with God. He feels very comfortable coming before God and saying, far be it from you, God that you would allow that kind of destruction when there are innocents. 
And the Hebrew of this expression, far be it from you, God, has the word profane. So in other words, would you really profane your own name, your own self, by carrying out destruction of humanity, as evil as they might be? This does not match who you claim to be, God, a God of steadfast love and mercy. So through this honest, bold dialogue, the authors of Genesis show and tell all about our faith father, Abraham. That relationship with God is dialogic, meaning this ongoing conversation. It is not top-down, God to us. It is side-by-side, God with us. The Christian mystic Teresa of Avila proclaims this. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses the world. Your feet, your hands, your eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but ours. God's design for our living is to sojourn with God, bearing the healing light and love of Christ. And like Teresa of Avila, Abraham too was a mystic. And according to pastor and theologian Richard Rohr, a mystic is defined as one who heals in themselves the fragmentation, the division that is evident in the world. Instead of hating, excluding, or dismissing it over there in someone else or in the others, they heal it in themselves. And this healing is God's spirit working in us. Mystics see the whole, the good, the bad, the ugly, alongside the beautiful. And they see the whole in themselves and others, and they refuse to hate or ignore any of it. And this allows them to have immense sympathy and empathy and compassion and to work in the service of healing the world, which is God's mission. And Father Rohr asserts, I'm not sure if you can come to such empathy in any other way. This non-dual thinking is true of mystics and all spiritual teachers And whenever we are being taught by our reading or what we're hearing about God and spirituality, remember to pay attention. If love is lacking, then it's coming from another fellow human who is still evolving and becoming our true essence in the image of God. I know I, I believe all of us have it in us. We're all evolving But I still can look not through the lenses of love sometimes and end up with saying them and us, you you lose, I win. You're an outsider, I'm an insider. And as we know, God is all-inclusive. Humans project a lot onto God and others. And thanks be to God, Abraham today shows us what is true. That when we enter into relationship with God, we get God's heart. And when we get God's heart, We cease to live for ourselves alone, and we start to live for and with others, with joy 
and loving kindness, we get to say to God in the face of injustice and evil, far be it from you, God, this profanes your name. And when we stand before God as Abraham did, when we then listen in this ongoing conversation, we hear God saying right back to us, and far be it from you too, for your true nature is me. And when the evil and injustice pervades, if you have any part or silence about it, you profane your nature too. So far be it from you too, God says. So let's go. Take my hand, for we have work to do. The work of my righteousness and justice. And friends, I want to lift up the ways that I experience this ongoing work of living out God's righteousness and justice through all of you here at the body of Knox, the body of Christ, through your hands, your feet, your heart, your voice, how you intercede as Abraham did on behalf of the downtrodden, the oppressed, and the abused. For decades here at Knox, a group would gather every Wednesday for intercessory prayer. That is to pray for all of you, all who would come through these doors, and also for the community and the world, praying for their needs. Deacons have recently embarked on praying for each person on the Knox congregant list by name and then posting that list in our bulletin every month, alphabetically. And intercessory prayer is simply holding someone in the light and love of God who really knows what each of us needs and desires. And every time you take our prayer list home and even glance at it, while you're having coffee, you are interceding as Abraham did. With your time, talents, and treasure, those serving the Ohio Innocence Project, or through interfaith hospitality, our homeless brothers and sisters, or those mentoring youth and providing school supplies for our friends at Third Church, you are carrying out God's love and righteousness. Many of you faithfully call your government officials to demand God's justice where there is none. And many of you gather regularly in peaceful protest to advocate for the oppressed. Some of you are preparing your hearts to go and serve at the border, to offer simple, humane, loving kindness to those seeking asylum. Soon I will be sharing my own experience of, share, of serving at the border that I hope will help some of you as you discern whether to go yourselves or to join with a group from Knox to go learn and love, for it's love that heals everything, including any broken system carried out by broken humans like us. Many of you help take the Lord's Supper or flowers to our homebound, offering friendship where there's often great loneliness. Many of you every month take God's word and hope and love of Christ into our jails and correctional facilities. And you testify every time how you come out more hopeful.
through the faith and the stories of the inmates. Our youth go to conferences to be nurtured in faith and then they take that to the streets on mission projects and serving alongside the least of these. And this only scratches the surface of all the ways that all of you share your time, talents, or treasure. Friends, may we boldly come before God each day saying, far be it from you, God, that this awfulness should continue and hear God say right back, and far be it from you too. Together we go. My work does not get done without you, for that is why I created you. One more word about the gospel today. The passage from Luke assigned to today is when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And usually when the disciples ask Jesus a question or make a, a demand, Jesus is quick to tell a story, a parable, to reveal how they have missed the mark again. Perhaps offered a selfish request, but not this time. Jesus goes right to it and teaches them how to pray. And this is the seed of the Lord's Prayer that we have today, which is not about me at all, but about doing God's will for the sake of others. Abraham teaches us today, and all of the ancestors who will come after us, and we too are teachers, to help us all keep the way of God, which is doing justice and loving righteousness. Thanks be to God that we get to do this together. Amen.